Good morning. I don't know how many of you have seen this week, um, there's a video that's been circulating about a pastor who is from California, who um, was a 49ers fan, and um, he came to the service, um, and he had a one-minute message. Well, you're not going to have that this morning. You're not going to have the one-minute message this morning. And he pulled off the shirt and did the Kaepernick, you know, and so you're not going to have that this morning. But I know that we are all looking forward to the football game this afternoon, so I won't be that long. And I hope we are all pulling for, no, I won't say, because I, I don't get myself in trouble before I get started. But good morning. Let us um, pause for a word of prayer before we look into God's word. Father, again, we just count it a privilege that we can come gathered here in your presence together. And we recognize this morning that it's because of you that we are here. Father, I have nothing at all to say. You have everything to say. And I pray that you would hide me, that you would use your word, because only your word can change people's lives. There's nothing that I have to say, but it's all because of you. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have come upon a new year. And the year is already 19 days into the new year. 2013 is over. We are now in 2014. What are your goals? What do you want to accomplish this year? Are you still stuck in 2013? I think as we get older, I think it becomes easy to live in past accomplishments and relish and find satisfaction in all that we have already accomplished. We sometimes feel that, well, I have already accomplished so much in life. What else can I really do? I think sometimes in our lives we think that, you know what, I cannot accomplish anymore. But we can all accomplish more, no matter how old we are in here this morning. George Foreman, one of the top boxers of all time. Now, many young people in this room this morning, they only know George Foreman because of his grills. I'm not here to talk about the George Foreman grill, but I'm here to talk about George Foreman, the boxer. Many of you boxing fans remember the rumble in the jungle, the fight between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman, where Ali would knock out Foreman in the fourth round, in the eighth round. You would think, well, Foreman's career might be over. Well, over the next couple of years, Foreman tried to make comebacks and fought over the next couple of years. In 1977, he decided to retire after a near-death experience after a fight with Jimmy Young, where Foreman, midway through the fight, felt as if he was going to die. Even in the locker room after the fight, he just felt that, you know, he was dehydrated and felt that he was going to die that night. Because of this life experience, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. So you would figure after he has accomplished so much and he had already been the champion, you would figure, well, you know what, he has nothing else to accomplish. Let's just hang it up and never box again. But for those who know George Foreman, he did come back. In 1987, 10 years after he had retired, he decided to come back. At the age of 45, he got a title shot against Michael Mora, who many, who many thought Foreman stood no chance of beating. But in the 10th round of that fight, he defeated. After Michael Moore had been beating him down, and, and uh, I mean, really, it looked like Foreman had no chance whatsoever. George Foreman landed a shot in the 10th round. 
and hit Mora right above the chin, gashing his, op- his bottom lip and knocking him out. Foreman later retired in 1996 at the age of 48. You see, Foreman was not satisfied with his past successes in boxing. He created new goals and achieved them. The question for me and you this morning is this. Are you satisfied with what you have already accomplished? Are you satisfied with where you are in your work? Are you satisfied where you are with your family? Are you satisfied with your relationship with Jesus Christ? This morning we want to look at the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 and understand as Paul talks to us, he understands that, look, I know in my own personal life I have accomplished a lot. If there's one person that can brag and, and relish in what they already accomplished, it is me. I have done all the great things in life that you could imagine. For some of us in this room, as we get older, we recognize that, look, what we may have been in high school, you know, some of us in this room may have been the star basketball player on our high school team. Some of you may have been the best student in high school. Right now, it doesn't really matter. Nobody really cares if you were the best basketball player on your team in high school. Because right now, you might not even be able to shoot a basketball. But again, as we look at Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, we see that Paul himself tells us that, look, we need to forget about the past. We need to forget the past accomplishments, forget the past failures, and understand and recognize that, look, there's so much more in life to accomplish. There's so much more that no matter how old you are in this room this morning, and as you will see in my note in the bulletin, I didn't say we have old people in this room, I just said we have older people in this room. But however old you are in this room, there's still much more that you can accomplish. Philippians chapter 3, Sunday, verse 12 says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of any of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to his glorious body, by the power that enables even to the subject to all things to himself. This morning I want us to look at five points. And the first point is this, Christ is the standard, nothing more. Nothing less. Starting at verse 12 again, it said, Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. You see, Paul recognized that there was so much more to accomplish in his life. 
Yes, he had already accomplished a lot from personal level, but on a spiritual level, he had not accomplished everything in his life. Because as we all know, it is impossible for us this morning to say that we have accomplished everything spiritually. All of us in this room have room to grow. All of us have room to grow because, as we will look at later, Christ is the standard. And we know that Christ himself was perfect. And we know that none of us in this room are perfect. So we are to strive to be perfect. We are strive to be like Christ every day of our lives. Yes, we will never reach that standard. And that's why the standard is high. But we must continue daily to pursue that. We know all through the gospel that tells us that we must die to ourselves daily. And I don't know about you, but that is so true. We must die to ourselves. We must pick up our cross. We must die to ourselves because we allow ourselves to get so entangled in sin so quickly because that's our nature. You see, some of us have stopped growing because, frankly, we think we have a right. Or at least we think we're doing better than others. The truth of the matter is that we are pitiful, not perfect. Use this sense of dissatisfaction to spur you on to the next step. By the way, some believers struggle with prayer because the simple fact that they are too satisfied with their spiritual life. You see, dissatisfaction can lead us more into prayer. When we realize that, you know what, we're not perfect beings, we need help with God, this will lead us to talk more to Him, to know exactly how God would have us to live. Because there's none of us in this room that could say, we can go on life without God. None. We need Him. We need to be more like Him. We need to grow like Him. The standard we must remember is not the person that we're sitting next to in the pew. Or the person who I can honestly say, you know what? I'm a better person than them. I go to church more than them. I read my Bible more than them. No, the standard is God Himself. Not the person in the pew. Because I could always look at a person and say, well, you know what? I'm a greater Christian than them. I'm more spiritual than them. You know, I, I work to the church. I got to come to church where every time the door open, because I got to sometimes open up. So, of course, I open the door. So I got to be more spiritual than almost everybody in this room because, of course, me and Brother Rodney opened up this morning, so we were the first ones here. That's what we sometimes think. But let's not forget that God is the standard. He is who we are trying to be like. He is who we are trying to obtain. He is the one that we can never get comfortable in our lives and say, yes, I have arrived. No, you haven't. Because we are continuing every day to become more like him as a Christian. That is what we are supposed to be doing. Oswald Saunders says this, Christian perfection is not and never can be human perfection. Christian perfection is the perfection of relationship to God, which shows itself amid the irrelevancies of human life. When you obey the call of Jesus Christ, the first thing that strikes you is the irrelevancy of the things you have to do. And the next thing that strikes you is the fact that other people seem to be living perfectly consistent lives. Such lives are apt to leave you with the idea that God is unnecessary. By human effort and devotion, we can reach the standard God wants. In a fallen world, this can never be done. I am called to live a perfect relation to God so that my life produces a longing after God in our lives. Not admiration for myself. Thoughts about myself hinder my usefulness to God. God is not after perfecting me to be a specimen in his showroom. He is, let, he is getting me to a place where he can use me. Let him do what he likes. 
You see, too many times what we do is we want to try to please everybody else. We want to do the things that will make everybody else happy. This is what, kind of, this is what Oswald Sarn is saying. We could be the model Christian, the specimen in the showroom. This is what a Christian looks like. But there's only one thing that a Christian looks like. They look like Christ. They look like Him. They try to pursue Him. That's the standard. Nothing more. Nothing less. The tendency for most of us is when we slip up, we will continue to slide. We think, well, you know what? I've already slipped up, so what's the point of trying to do more? But let us also remember, as, we, as Ethan sang this morning, that our God is a gracious God. He will forgive us. And we are forever His. There's nothing that we can do to separate that love from, from it. Because he is a loving God. He wants us. He desires to have this relationship with us. Which brings me to the second point. Don't live in past successes, but focus on being the best that you can for Christ right now. Verse 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You see, this verse tells us that we must forget the past and focus on what lies ahead. If you can imagine me for a second, as, as this picture is, a runner. And for anyone in this room who knows me, even growing up, I am not a good runner. I'm not fast. I'm slow. Um, you know, I, I need all the help that I can. So, of course, this would be a good point for me. Because what they one thing that the coach will always tell you is, is never look what? Back. Never look back when you're running. And like I said, for me, I definitely can't look back because I would be in trouble. That I cannot run. But he tells you to look forward. And the reason that a coach will tell you to look forward, because what would happen if I look back? I lose focus on what the prize is. I lose focus on what the goal is. If I turn back, I'm already a trip over my two feet. If I look back, then I cannot see the goal that's in the front of me. The Apostle Paul tells us also that we must run the race to win. One of the most famous coaches of all time is Herm Edwards. And one thing that Herm Edwards always says is this. You play to win the game. You play to win the game. We are in this race together. We are a body of Christ. We are running this race together. And all of us in this room should be playing to win the game. To win others for Christ. We should be focusing on the goal. The, Hebrew, the, the author of Hebrews tells us that focus on Christ because he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is who we focus on. He is what we're supposed to be looking at. He is the finish line. He is the goal. You see, so many times we like to use this verse to talk about someone forgetting their past failures. But let's also forget our past successes. Because I think sometimes when we have so much success, we relish in that and we think we've arrived. We think we have it all together because I've accomplished so much. There's no more, there's no more that I can do. There's nothing else in life that I can accomplish because you see my list of credentials? How do you expect me to do anything else? You see, last year at Calvary Bible Church, we celebrated 50 years of God's faithfulness in ministry. It's easy for us to look and think, that we have arrived. And don't get me wrong, that is a great accomplishment to be a church that has grown faithfully over the last 50 years. 
But we have so much more growing to do. We have so much more that we can do for Christ. We must not get comfortable as a church and rest in our past successes. But we must strive for new and exciting goals. We must strive to be a church that is known in the Bahamas for, for people showing God's love to one another. We here at Calvary have a wide range of, of, a, of, a, of an age group. It does not mean that just because someone is getting older means that they should just stop in ministry because they feel that they are too old, but rather pass on the knowledge to younger men and women. I think this is the problem that we have not just here at Calvary Bible Church, but I think it's a problem that the universal church has. We must pass on the knowledge from generation to generation. We must pass on our knowledge so that the young people can see us and grow. Um, last, about a couple of weeks ago when um, Craig, Brother Craig was speaking in Titus, you know, I was just looking over at a little piece later on in, in that chapter, and it talks about the women passing on to younger women. Men, you passing on to younger men. And I think this is something that we as a church need to do. Encourage one another because we need each other. Whether you're young, whether you're older, we need each other. And we must help our younger generation to know what it is to be a Christ follower as we will see later on. The third point is this, focus on the prize, which is Christ Jesus. In verse 14 it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Here again, Paul wants us to continue to think of running a race. And we must recognize that this race that we are running is not a sprint. This is not a hundred meter dash. But this race that we are running is a marathon. The Christian life is not just, let me go and get him and that's it. No, this is a marathon. And if you know anything about a marathon runner, they have to train for a long period of time. So for us as a Christian, and, and I know today, and this just happened to work out this day because... And I was, when I was planning this, I forgot that it was today. It's Marathon Bahamas. They're running that race today. There's no one that just picked up this morning and said, I'm going to go run the marathon. They train for that. There's no one who got up this morning for the marathon and said, well, I only want to run a quarter of it. I want, you know, I don't want to run the whole thing. I don't want to finish. And I know they have a half marathon and, you know, I know that some people, but every person in that race has a goal. Everybody has a point where they want to get to. There's no one that race that woke up this morning and said, well, I don't want to accomplish my goals. There's no one that woke up this morning and said, I don't want to finish the race. So why do we do that with God? Why do we sometimes say that, you know what, I already have it together. I've done enough. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I have my fire insurance. I know I'm not going to hell, so I've accomplished everything I need. You see, God wants us for so much more. He wants us to be people, to be people that would show Him to this world, as we will look at later. We represent Him. And as we think of this race, as we think of this marathon that we are in, let us not forget that He is the finish line. 
He is the goal. He is what we're focusing on. So for us to get to that point, we must train. How do we train? We train by reading His Word. We train by spending time by prayer. We train by getting to know Him better. This is the only way that we will reach the standard, which is Christ. It's to know Him more. It's to get to know Him more on a daily basis. None of us have arrived. None of us have gotten to the point where we could sit back, relax, and enjoy. We are in this marathon together. We are here to encourage one another. We are here to come alongside and say, no, let's go. You, you ready to give up? No, no, let's go. Come on. Let us be a church that is willing to do this. William McDonald says this at verse 15. As many are mature should share Paul's willingness to suffer and die for Christ and to bend every effort in the quest for likeness to the Lord Jesus. This is the mature view of a Christian faith. Some would call it extreme, radical, or fanatical. But the apostle states, Hat, those who are full-grown will see this is the only same logical reasonable response to the one who shed his lifeblood for them on Calvary. What did Christ do for us? He died. He shed his blood. What makes me and you think that we should be comfortable? What makes us think that life should be easy? A man lost his life, paid the price for us. What can we do in return but to give up ours? To say, God, here I am. Use me for your glory. Use me to do great things for you. We must remember that this life is now that we live is not our own. For it belongs to the one who paid the price of death on the cross for us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this morning, if you call yourself a believer, this is not your life anymore. You've given it over to him. You've said, here God, this is me. Use me for your glory. Use me to do great things for you. For you. Let's bring me to the fourth point. Live a life that's worth imitating. I'm sure at some point in your life, or if you have children, your child has played the imitating game with you. Where you have said one thing, and they keep on repeating you. Mercy loves to play this game at some time. We'll be in a car, go in somewhere, and she will repeat everything that everyone is saying. How many of you ever played that game? Or had your kid play that game? Yes, we know what it is. Here it is, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, imitate me. Follow me. Brothers, in verse 7, he said, Brothers, join and imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Can you imagine telling someone to imitate you? Paul was willing to tell them to follow his example, to see what it is to pursue Christ with all that he had to give Paul. And as we see, Paul didn't just say this here, but he echoed this through his writings. He said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Layman Strauss says this, Paul considered himself the recipient of God's mercy, 
that he might be a pan thus his whole life. So, so sec, ah, to his conversion was dedicated to presenting to others an outline sketch of what a Christian should be. God saved Paul in order that he might show by the example of his conversion that what Jesus Christ did for him, he can will do for others. Was not this a special object our Lord had in view, extending his mercy to you and me? I believe he has saved us to be a pattern uh, to all future believers. Are we serving as examples of those who have been saved by his grace? May it be so. You see, me and you, this should be the cry of each one of us as a Christian. To say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The question for me and you this morning is this, though. What would people be following? Would they be following a Christ follower? Would it be following someone that's pursuing Christ? Or will they be pursuing someone that would lead them down to a road of destruction? You see, many times in the church today, we have people who say they don't come to church because the church is full of hypocrites. So I don't want to be a Christian because I know some Christians and they act this way. But it shouldn't be that way. We should be pursuing Christ. We should be able to tell someone, look, imitate me. Look at my life. Do as I do, because I'm following Christ. And let me just say this. This morning as I say this, I'm not talking down to you, because this is a challenge for me as well. Because what are people seeing in my life? What are, what are people seeing when I go in the grocery store? What are people seeing when I'm out in public? Are they seeing a true, genuine Christ follower? Are they seeing a person that shows love to them? A person that wants that I show them Christ because that's what I'm trying to be like. Paul continues on in verses 18 and 19 to warn them who they follow because there are some who call themselves believers, but they are only leading people down to destruction. I hope that this would not be said of anyone here this morning. That if someone followed our lives and the way that we conduct ourselves, that we would be leading that person down a road of destruction. I would hope not. I would hope that people would see Christ in each one of us. I would hope that as we go out from here, that people would wonder, well, what's, what's wrong with him? And you could tell him, well, what's wrong is because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm different than this world. I'm not the same as everybody else because I have a genuine relationship with Christ. Which brings me to the last point. Remember that your citizenship is in heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven, in verse 20 it says, And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject of all things to himself. This is a reminder for all of us this morning, that no matter what passport you may hold, no matter what part of citizenship you may be, that as a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven. You have a place that will last forever. We don't have to argue about that. We don't have to worry about immigration for that. Because we have a person that we could have hope in. We have the great leader, the great king, the perfect king, 
We are to live as heaven citizens, pursuing Christ-likeness, as it said in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which will wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, Peter makes it clear that once we were not God's people, once we were aliens, once we were sojourners, exiles, but now we are heaven citizens. We are God's citizens. We are to represent him. And the question for us this morning is this. Are you representing him in a good way? Are you showing Christ to people that you come in contact with? Are you being a citizen that he would be pleased with? You know, many people tell me that I look like my dad, I walk like my dad, and sometimes I talk like my dad. And I know some people are probably thinking, well, you got bad, you got a problem there. And he's right in the back, so I'm not talking about his back. But let me say this. I would hope that they would say that about my Heavenly Father. That I look like Him, talk like Him, and act like Him. Because that is who I want to be like. That's who I want to pursue, to become. Because I know there's become a day when I'm going to leave all this behind. This earth is, we're just passing by. I got a heavenly place to look forward to. What about you this morning? Do you have a heavenly place to look forward to? Or are you leading down that road of destruction and have no hope in this world? So how can we apply this? Well, first of all, sanctification is a process that's always ongoing. So never feel like you have arrived to a place of comfort. Never feel like you have it all together. Secondly, Christ-likeness is perfection. So continue to strive to be like Christ every day. And thirdly, be heavenly citizens. Live a life that's worth imitating. Let it be said that we look like our Heavenly Father, not just our parents, because that is who we want to be like. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and thank you for the reminder that we have a greater place to look forward to. And Father, I pray this morning that if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would come to know you. That they would recognize that they don't have the same hope that we have. Because for us who call ourselves believers, we have the hope in you. And we know that our citizenship, yes, we may be Bahamian, or whatever our passport may say, 
but we are citizens of heaven. And I pray this morning that we would act that way, that we would live a life that's worth imitating, live a life that is Christ-like in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.